Is that the sound of the future? You're about to find out. You are listening to another Always Moto production. So you picked up a new bike. Where do you start with the adjustments and setup? What parts should you get for it? What about your riding gear? Which gear do you actually need? Don't stress, the Always Moto Inspected podcast starts now. guys and girls thanks for joining us here on the always moto podcast this is episode 24 and it's a very special episode we're not in our usual emergency department layout today we are in the always moto inspection rooms that's right we're inspecting a very special product today it's the stark varg we were lucky enough to attend the worldwide media launch for the stark varg over in barcelona spain just over two weeks ago, we've had an embargo in place on the information until June 10th, and hopefully this will be, you'll be listening to this shortly after that time. Uh, we'll be popping this all up, and you'll be listening to it after the June 10th deadline, or lockout, I should say, for the embargo. So we're going to run through a few aspects here. There will be a full story uh, on the review that you can read, see some images uh, over on fullnoise.com.au, which is our usual link-up site for all things written um, and still pictures. We'll also be having, uh, over the next few weeks, we'll be having some short videos dropping of us, of myself, on the Stark Varg, uh, putting it to good use on the MX Golf track over there in Spain. So a lot of content going to come your way. You're going to get sick of seeing the Stark Varg because pretty much every media outlet is going to have it on their social pages, websites, magazine covers. Uh, it's going to go nuts. There was about 60-odd media outlets that got to experience the Stark Varg over a number of weeks um, in the middle of May there, uh, and it was a an exceptional event. So we're going to run through my experience with the event we're going to get to the the, the track the bike um, and a little interview later on that i got to do at the end of the test day uh, with the ceo and, and co-founder anton was uh, and it's an interesting little sit down we we used some questions that i'd got sent over the social channels to you know just sort of inspect a bit further with some of those queries that you, the general public you guys out there um, have about these electric motorcycles and Anton was happy enough to accommodate our silly questions or stupid questions that were put to him. Look, they weren't all stupid. Some of them uh, were a bit bit more that way. I did screen a couple of these out, guys so guys and girls, so um, be warned. Uh, I did take out the really dumb ones, uh, and there was only a couple of those. So look, everything else got pretty much answered. So we'll have that at the very end of this episode of the podcast, uh, and also we'll finish off at the end with a... Uh, a bit of a will I buy a Stark Varg conversation. So let's jump into the whole experience and just give you the overview of what went on. We will obviously wear an Australian-based uh, media production here. 
I'm on the east coast of Australia, just north of Newcastle. So I was able to fly out of Newcastle Airport, do a couple of hop skips and jumps around Australia to then head over to uh, Europe and, and the UK, specifically London and then on to Barcelona. So I had four connecting flights, which was a bit of a torturous uh, trip. From the moment I left my place to the moment I actually got to the hotel in the outskirts of uh, Barcelona there, it was a 40-hour trip. I had a couple of delays in there because of wet weather um, in Australia that actually seemed to follow me over to Spain, and you'll hear about that shortly. So the flights and stuff were terrible. We got to there eventually. Checked into the hotel around one or so o'clock, thought, geez, I better have a shower. So I jumped in at a shower and thought, look, it's about time I'm going to go check out the place, see what's going on. See what's happening in this little local town. We're only about 10 minutes from where the track is that we're going to be meant to be riding on the Wednesday. We arrived on Tuesday. Um, so I thought I'd quickly check out the town. Now, I'd been warned, but i kind of forgotten at that point. The, the travel and all the jet lag and everything was fogging the brain. Went outside at around 2 to 30, and it was a ghost town. There was nothing going on in Spain at that point in the day. The place was dead set empty. Nobody was anywhere. Doors were locked. Lights were off. Uh, I forgot about siesta time, didn't I? Of course, it was siesta time. I was bloody starving at that point, and nothing was open. Uh, so I did manage to find a little gelato place, had a bit of gelato, not the best thing in the world to have <laughs> at that point when you're starving. I probably ate too much of it, but I was hungry. So that's what we got to do. But we were all prepped and ready. We got to bed early that night, um, ready for a big day the next day uh, on the Varg uh, on the Wednesday. There was five media outlets per day with the test sessions because they had five of the pre-production models available for um, each meter to have one bike for the day. Uh, so we had five people there. Um, we had a couple of guys from UK. We had one from uh, further in Europe there. And uh, we had one in it Italian guy um, and obviously myself um, as an Australian. So we were all lined up, ready to go. We'd had breakfast, waiting at the waiting area to get picked up, to get taken out to the, to the track. Uh, and unfortunately, the communications manager there, Benjamin Cobb, came through and told us that it, the rain that had happened all night the previous night that had soaked me on my walk back at about 8 o'clock from uh, where I managed to find a pizza place, it had ruined the track for the day and we had to be delayed. Now, that's all well and good when you're you know, a local, but having traveled 40 hours and having a flight planned to be out Thursday afternoon... Travel, travel uh, issues were a massive thing at that point. Luckily, we were able to reschedule everything around. And obviously, we had to have then a delay because there was other media outlets booked Thursday and Friday already that week. Uh, so we ended up having to wait until Saturday to get this test in. But luckily, the guys at Stark were awesome and managed to accommodate a few things for me that I would not have got to do otherwise. I was able to then have a day in Barcelona that they organized the trip down, like transfer down, transfer back, did a hop on, hop off bus tour, got to see the sites in Barcelona, which was awesome. Uh, and it's, I got to tell you guys, it's crazy busy over there. Uh, and, and my driver, Stephen, hooking around the town uh, in his Mercedes uh, van uh, that was a taxi. And look, he was a nutcase, but I was loving it every second of it. He didn't speak too much English. We are trying to talk about what was going on. We bonded over his Mercedes uh, 
a uh, S63 AMG that he uh, does burnouts in apparently. So he was driving that Mercedes van like he was in his AMG, uh, cutting people off, jumping through lanes. It was insane. Uh, but we're loving every second of it, getting to see the sights uh, of Barcelona. So we were able to, obviously with those extra two days that we didn't previously have, and obviously the extra media outlets coming through, we got to meet a few more people. So there was a complete bro down um, of the media, worldwide media there over the next two days for us. We got to meet a fair few people um, and a few more people that were involved with the Stark project. So we obviously got to meet Benjamin Cobb, um, the communications guy for Stark, uh, who basically set all this up for us to attend. We got to have sit-down dinner and breakfast with Anton, the CEO. We also got to meet Paul, the head engineer and co-founder. Um, and then we also got to meet Joe, the social media and marketing guy, uh, which was an awesome experience to talk to them about their, their, their position in this company and how they're seeing the growth come through already uh, with things that they're doing and how they're trying to change the experience of a dirt bike in the moto industry. And then also all the other people that were involved too managed to meet Eric Pennard, which was a fantastic experience. Obviously, he's involved in a lot of different aspects of um, moto promotions and events and organizing riders to and from things internationally. Uh, and he was a good good guy to sit down and chat to. We also got to meet a few the guys. Uh, we got, met Ryan from Cycle News, Tucker from Electric Cycle Rider, um, and a few other guys and girls along the way that uh, were all from all over the world. So we got to chat about all the different experiences experiences of getting there what we were thinking the bike was going to be uh, you know when they came back from it we got to hear a few snit tidbits about things that happened on the day and obviously put shit on people that fell off and broke parts that, that were you know obviously rather expensive because the thing's still in production and they don't have all these things quite as handy as you would um, any other bike at this point in, in time so it was a good time chatting to everybody there um, and getting to meet a few more people in this motor media industry so we'll take a quick break here, guys, um, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the track. Hi, this is Dylan Woodcock, riding for All South CMH Stunt Flying Privateer Team, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Cheers, mate. And we're back, guys and girls. And yes, one of the riders that we did forget, or people that we did forget to mention in those people we got to meet and have dinner with, uh, was the guy that just did that little intro there. Um, it's Dylan Wal uh, Dylan Woodcock. Um, we were able to, he was there testing for one of the UK based magazines and we, we got to catch up. Obviously we are talking to Dylan previously through his Supercross races and a couple of injuries he's had in the last two years in the AMA Supercross. So it's good to finally put a face to the name and, and have a sit down and chat with, with Dylan and he's a pretty cool guy. So it was nice to chat with him as well. But let's jump into the track. So it's an interesting concept. This place was called MX Golf, and I was wondering what the, the deal was there. And turns out that it was a, a, an ex-golf course uh, that had been purchased by another company, uh, and they turned it into a motocross track. So everyone's dreams came true. We got to ride a golf course uh, on a motorbike, or in this case, a dirt bike, electric dirt bike. Um, so it had all the um, features from the golf course still. It had the uh, clubhouse. You had change rooms. You know, it had a big... Uh, reception area up top uh, it was a pretty cool cool place but the guys had staged out this whole day from Stark uh, and we weren't really privy to too much of the information even though we'd managed to talk to a few of the guys and girls who had been through the experience everyone was pretty good about not passing on some of the key details so that you were 
got to experience the whole thing that Stark had played out uh, before you, you know, you weren't aware of what was going to go on. And, and it was a good surprise and it was quite a quite an interesting day from start to finish. So obviously we got picked up at the hotel, driven out to the track. Like I said, it was about 10 minutes away. Um, big MX Golf on the sign uh, as you went in. But they pulled up at the clubhouse, which was we couldn't see any track or any bikes or anything at that point. So we got, we got instructed to gear up at that point. So we went in uh, and I was lucky enough for this trip, we were supported by Thor um, Australia through Gas Imports uh, and they provided us a full head to toe setup. So we were able to put on that new uh, Thor gear. Um, so we got all geared up, ready to go, came out of the change rooms and there's Benjamin Cobb uh, with a couple of t basically a couple of TV crews with him. Uh, and we got mic'd up from the beginning of the day. So it was all staged. We got mic'd up. Ben got mic'd up. And he did a little introduction speech about the Stark Varg, uh, which was all videoed. Uh, we had, I basically had uh, about three, three or so guys dedicated to me as a film crew. Uh, for the day, there was myself and Tucker from Electric Cycle Rider on Instagram um, there for the day. There was only the two of us, um, which worked out awesome. Uh, and we were able to then they, you know, have these guys follow us around and capture the event for us to try and put some video content to, for, for, the, for the viewers and readers of this, these productions for everybody. So that's what I was mentioning a bit earlier in the, in the podcast that you'll see some of that stuff over the next few weeks. We're still working on some of that stuff. There's a lot of footage that we're trying to edit through. So, and it's taking just a little bit more time than we would like to get through to having it out ready in time for the embargo to pass, but you'll see that stuff. It'll be on our YouTube channels. It'll probably pop up in a gallery on fullnoise.com.au as well, as well as my Instagram always.moto. Um, but yeah, so we got mic'd up. They popped us in the vans after this little speech. Um, they drove us, out the back of the clubhouse into the golf course and you could see some of the sections where there used to be tee boxes and all that sort of stuff for the for the golf that used to go on but then they drove us out and there was a couple of Starkvark trucks a couple of um, easy ups full setup uh, and there were the bikes and there was the big white Varg that you've seen on their social channels recently set up in the center of the the parking lot as the demonstration model uh, and it was pretty cool to see it sitting there in real life um, obviously looking at all of the images in the lead up to this and the videos to finally see it for myself it was kind of kind of became real at that point that this was happening uh, and not just you know one of those sort of fantasy things that you've you've dreamt up over the last few weeks that could you know was not actually real so it was awesome to see now the the track itself actually that was over over a bit of a space it went up and down some hills this golf course must have been a bit of a wily wily hit um, it had a lot of elevation changes on the track and there was about uh, three big step ups on the track uh, as well as a, a decent step down section uh, and the track the track itself was a bit of a clay base they disked sections of it quite deep um, and watered it really well unfortunately those sections over the day as we rode them um, with being only sort of two guys on the track we had really only one line develop and then as it dried out it was a quite a hot day guys uh, it was over 30 degrees uh, when we were testing and obviously coming from our colder months here in australia to this to spain which was getting hotter towards summer for them uh, it was a big change i was ringing wet by halfway through the day um, just sweat pouring out of me 
which is normal. Honestly, when I train the gym, that's a normal process for us. But uh, I noticed it even more at this point because I've been starting to get to the point where I was wearing jumpers and pants all, all the time in Australia. Uh, and then obviously I'm in shorts and a t-shirt and then sweating my butt off trying to do this test day. Uh, I noticed the effect of it, but the track got baked. So that disc area that was disc pretty deep, uh, it went pretty crusty on the edges. So if you got off that one line that we'd made, uh, it was a bit, bit of a sketchy moment. Uh, and not exactly the greatest of tractions, but they prepped the track really nicely. Um, considering we had the rain delay from a few days earlier, everything looked great there at the track. We were also able to go during the day on a bit of a trail ride. They had a little supercross track that they tell us that uh, Dylan Woodcock uh, and one of the other guys was uh, getting around on pretty quickly the day before. We rode around on that. I'm no supercross rider, so I didn't attempt too many of the jumps there, uh, but we did a little bit of a loop. We went on some some of the back sections of the, of the old golf course, and there was some decent little uphill climbs that we could do through the soft loose loose soil and up there was a few tree roots and a few tree uh, a few rocks under the trees and made a tight little couple of trails up these hills so we were able to test the bikes in that sections as well um, so we got a fair range of um, surfaces tested in this not just the motocross track that was fully prepped yes the track was prepped nice obviously they're trying to make it a good impression for us and, a, and an easy track to ride so that you can get the best out of the motorcycle and write a positive review uh, but we were also lucky enough because we had only the two of us, Tucker also being a bit more of an off-road guy, myself being more of an off-road guy. Yeah, we did a heap of uh, motocross laps, but uh, partway through the day, Anton and Paul, the two co-founders, um, jumped on the two, two of the spare bikes that were there because they had five and they were only using two. They jumped on two of the spare bikes and took us down to that supercross track, took us through a bit of a grass track section, took us to these hill climbs. Uh, and we got to play around with, with those uh, bikes in those scenarios to see what they'd handle like uh, and how the power applications would work in those different scenarios. So we'll talk about that stuff in the next section, but it was a great day to experience the bike and a good setting to test it out across a range of different soil types, uh, ground areas, riding techniques, all those sorts of things. So it was, it was an awesome day, but it was rather hot um, and I was feeling it the next day. Um, wasn't able to get probably some of the the nutrients in throughout the day. I was able to drink plenty of water, but there was no electrolytes going in, so I was pretty pretty wrecked the next day. And obviously flying out early the next morning, uh, sitting on the plane, I cramped up pretty damn good the next day. So wasn't fantastic from that side of things, but we're able to get. Uh, a really good test day in with a lot of footage and a lot of experience on this new Stark Farg electric motorcycle. Let's take another quick break, guys and girls, and we'll be back to talk the bike. I'm Brighton Carroll, riding for Team TCD, and you're listening to the Always Moto Podcast. All right, guys and girls, we're back with the Stark Varg Always Moto Inspection. This is the part you've probably been hanging for. It's the talk on the Varg itself, and... Look, I'm going to start this section by saying as much as I wanted to be a little bit skeptical about things and I was skeptical about things being electric and being set in my ways as a gas, you know, like I said gas over there because like it's stuck in my brain, gas fuel versus electric uh, and myself being a predominantly a two-stroke rider for as long as I can remember um, and, and, and even myself not really converting to the TSPs version, KTMs and stuff these days, still liking to stick with the with the, uh, the the carbureted versions of these bikes. 
I was interested in what this bike would be able to do. And obviously there's a there's a movement in, in the world of electric powered vehicles, obviously the Tesla's taking over. And I'd previously just only a few weeks earlier before this test had happened, a neighbor of ours uh, has gotten a Tesla and I was able to take a ride with him in that Tesla. And I did not know what to expect. I figured it was a car and it didn't make noise, blah, blah, blah. But holy shit, when he stood on the throttle and it didn't screech tires, it didn't rev up, but it took off faster than I'd ever think I've taken off in a car before and was just pinned into the seat. It made me think, have a high expectation for what this bike could be. And obviously not having ridden anything electric myself before, I haven't even driven a, a, a Tesla, I just got to sit in the passenger seat. I didn't know what to expect in terms of how the application of the throttle would feel, what that would do to the bike, how it would how it would react to those things on a you know a motocross track where you've got bumps and ruts and jumps and all those sorts of things that stick out on a motocross track that you normally just don't even think about that you just go over and, and you just ride through. So I was a little bit nervous when I got onto the bike that first time. Um, so, but this is gonna to start to come across as a very positive review because I had a, an absolute ball once I got on this Stark Varg. So let's just leave that initial little, um, initial, initial warning there for you, for the listeners. So let's get to the details of the bike. The bike we got to ride was a pre-production version. It wasn't the finished product. They're not quite at that stage. They're very much in the uh, production line phase of things and not everything is complete. They haven't got all the vendors in place um, that they're using for the small aspects that they are needing external vendors for. Um, so it wasn't the complete finished product that you're gonna get if you've already put down a deposit on one of these Stark Vargs. But that didn't change the fact of how good it was. So it was a little bit heavier than what the production one's gonna be. So this bike was around 120 kilos. They're saying that the production one's gonna be under 110. Um, the power that I got to ride was the 60 horsepower bike, the 80 horsepower that is advertised that everyone sort of shook their head at and went, holy shit. Um, it will be available in the production model. It's part of the software. Um, it's just not, wasn't available for this particular test period so we got through the 60 horsepower one and the software for things like the dashboard that is actually a phone um, wasn't quite finished yet either so all those little user interfaces all the little bits that make it look pretty weren't weren't there yet but the basics of how it functioned was available to the start guys to program the bike and show us a basic screen setup um, of things like speed battery life um, temperature of the bike so those things were available on the dashboard but it was a very simplified version so it wasn't as pretty as this is going to look when it's actually in the market and it's being delivered to the first customers that have purchased it so a few little differences there but that didn't change a damn thing about how it felt on the track. So let's jump to straight away the Stark Varg phone. Now, if you haven't seen the videos, guys, jump on the Stark Varg website. They've got a video about this. It's their dashboard, but it is essentially a military grade mobile phone that connects into and clicks in and clicks out of where your handlebar or crossbar pad would be so it becomes a dashboard but if you have the sim card version that's available through this purchase process as a subscription uh, you're able to click that phone out of the dashboard there when you finish riding 
pop it in your pocket and away you go, it's your mobile phone for every day. Now, when we say military grade, that means it's high impact resistant and it's also waterproof. So for you tradies out there that have troubles keeping a phone because you drop it, you break it, whatever, this might be a fantastic idea of doubling up on a purchase. Um, you might be able to claim it on tax, who fucking knows? Um, but it's a fantastic way of you getting a phone that might actually be tough enough to last what you do and it also works with your dirt bike. So bonus there, guys. Keep an eye on that one. Um, now, the, the rideability of the bike, now the power. So when I got on this bike, they played a bit of a trick on us, right? A stark, guys, I don't know if it didn't convert too well in, in, in Spanish humor, um, but they programmed this bike. Obviously, we're sitting there all tense, ready to go. Oh, fuck, this thing's gonna be so fast. They programmed the damn bike because it's so easy to change the mapping on these things. They programmed it to be slower than a freaking peewee. So they got on, we got on it and they go, right, just do a little cruise around the flat area of the car park between all the display here that they had set up. Come back to here and we'll, we'll check how you feel and we'll let you go loose on the track. No, no worries, yep, sure. So I just cruise out. I'm really gen gingerly touching the throttle, just trying to see, you know, how's it feel? And it sort of does the and I'm like, oh yeah, it's not really doing much. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what happens if I just bury it with a rev or I just spin the back tire because there's no clutch on this bike and there's no gears. But I'm, you know, your normal process when you get on a bike when it's cold, you pull the clutch in your brup, 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 sort of revving it, warming it up as you're rolling around. So I thought, bugger it. I'm in a, in a bit of open space, fingers on the front brake. Let's just blip it and see what happens. And I blipped it and it didn't really do anything. And I look at Paul, the, the um, head engineer, and he's laughing his ass off. And I'm like, what's so funny? And he goes, oh, we just programmed it to be beginner mode. And I was like, oh, you fucking asshole. <laughs> so he's gone, couple, and this is how simple it was. He literally touches the, the Starkvark phone on the dashboard there, connects it to his phone via the Wi-Fi, changes a couple of settings in the, the screen that he's got open on his personal phone, and basically the thing goes flash and it's programmed ready to go for full motocross spec. Uh, and he said, and I said, is that how it's going to be for the production models? And he goes, no, you'll just build it on the, on the dashboard. You'll be able to switch from, from maps, modes, change your engine brakings, all these sorts of things, traction control, all that will all be done on the dashboard on that Starkvark phone. And I was like, oh, that's pretty damn simple. So he changed it. He goes, right, you can go out on the track. So now when I blipped it as I took off out the thing, it took off. And holy shit, did it take off. So I rolled onto the track and went, fuck it, let's give it some. Pulled the throttle on. It's a bit of an uphill. And I went, holy shit, and shut the throttle off. And it just kept rolling because I had no engine braking on this setting. Uh, and I'm a two-stroke rider, so I'm not used to massive engine braking like you four-stroke guys out there. But it just rolled into the corner. I'm like, that's so nice. It just, it sat in the corner and I hadn't even gotten on the track properly yet. I was in the first corner, I wasn't ready and it's just rolling into the corner beautifully. And I'm like, this is handling super well. And and I put, started applying some throttle to just turn through the corner because it had been freshly disc and it was nice and deep and loose. And it instantly grabs traction and takes myself out of the corner, super smooth, super easy. And I was like, wow, that was connected. That was really well connected from throttle to rear wheel. And it, we, I sort of rolled through the first set. Of, there was a triple, double, double section that was right after we entered the track um, 
turned the next sweeping right corner and it was a nice flat straight and I just thought, let's give it some. We've got some room. Let's go. And as I came out of the corner, I just rolled on that throttle. It went zip. And I was at the next corner before I knew what the frick had gone on. It was amazing how fast it took off. And it didn't make hardly any noise. And all you can hear is the back tire going, trying to grip, grab the ground and pull you forwards. It was an amazing sound to hear because you would never hear that before on a normal gas fuel powered bike you'd be over that the exhaust note would bury that sound but you could hear every part of the traction that was going on behind you as you took off and it was kind of kind of bizarre to hear but it was awesome to hear at the same time and you could tell later in the day when you started the track started getting slick in some corners you could really hear that back tire sliding across the ground as you lost traction so it was awesome to hear that from that side of things but that power that instant power it made your cornering or my cornering as I went around, it made it so good because you could come into the corner, shut off, it would roll into the corner super easy. So you're balanced into the corner. There's no clutch work, so you're not worrying about holding the clutch in and to stall it. There was no tap dancing on the gear shift to get it in the right gear so you could pull it out of the corner. You could just stand on the bike, use your rear brake on the on the foot pedal. I didn't get to test the one on the handbrake, but I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and just roll into that section one of the corner. And by the time you were seated in section two of the corner, you're already to roll it on for the exit for section three. You could get on it so early in the, on this bike because it was instant. There was no worried about keeping the revs up in the middle the corner to then pull it out of the corner. It just was already pulling. That electric motor is sensational for cornering. It, it just improved your ability to pull through the corner. And I think the balance of the bike in the center of the corner in, in section two was also due to the fact that there was less motor inertia going on and you didn't have to fight its movement going one direction and you're trying to go slightly the another direction. The bike didn't have that, so it just turned. Now the bike has KYB suspension front and rear. It's a triples, triple adjuster on the rear. Um, and look, all I did at that stock setting, they have a custom setting for the Starks, obviously, that they've developed. All I did from that setting was I took three clicks off the compression on the front end. It was a little bit harsh in my hands when I was hitting some of the low speed bumps and it was giving me a bit of forearm pump in that first session. So I did that uh, and it was perfectly fine the rest of the day. I probably, as I got towards the end of the day, if I had a bit more time and I was gonna go back and ride again the next day, the next morning I probably would have made some more adjustments to the rear shock, maybe slow the rebound down a touch. Um, but at that point in time, I couldn't fault it from what I knew of that bike on that track. I was comfortable from that three clicks off the front uh, for the rest of the day. It was awesome. Now, if we move through some of the components that makes this cornering possible, it's got a custom frame. It's got a custom uh, swing arm that aren't used parts from other bikes. They have redesigned these things specifically for the Stark Varg. They have changed the linkage position so it doesn't sit so low below the swing arm. So it actually sits higher and it's more protected from the frame. It has a nice skid plate on the bike that then also is higher, it sits lower than the actual linkage. So it actually is protecting it through that section as well. So the hubs on it, they are essentially a KTM hub in terms of size. So you could essentially put that on from a KTM axle through that sort of thing, bearings. 
but they've redesigned the hub. So it's not just the KTM hub, they've redesigned it. It's stronger, it's lighter. It also looks a tiny bit different. It's actually quite, quite beautiful to look at all these parts that they've redesigned. The swing arm itself, redesigned as well. The frame, obviously, to fit the electric motor in, needs to be completely different. It doesn't have the traditional front two rails that go from your foot pegs underneath the bike and up the front of the motor. Um, it's, it's completely different. It doesn't need that because it doesn't have to mount the motor in that sense. And that whole front section that you see of that Stark Varg motor, in inverted commas, at that front of the bike is actually the battery. Um, now, if we're on the battery quickly, the battery in this Stark Varg is not designed to be changed between motos. It could be done, um, when, and you'll hear that from Anton later in, in our interview later on, but it's designed to be that we're recharging this one. It's got a very long life of about 10,000 hours, uh, which for most people is gonna be a shit ton of riding. Um, in terms of how many, uh, sorry, 10,000 recharge hours or something, I think it was. Now, in terms of battery life, we're talking, they've said that they will comfortably do an MXGP pro level rider on the bike for a 30 minute plus two lap moto at MXGP pace. Now that's pretty impressive. Um, they've also then said for the more trail riding type type guy that they would get somewhere between up to six hours out of this battery also six hours is pretty impressive most of you guys are going to wear out at about one and a half two <laughs> no offense but that's probably what's going to happen i know you guys go for longer rides but i bet you bet my bottom dollar you do like most people and you, you ride for 10 minutes you sit for 15 you ride for another 20 you sit for another 20 um, so you're not actually riding for the full time that you're out and about doing your trail ride and it sounds like these things will cover that sort of pace now, if we keep going on that battery life, when we did these longer rides on the bike with the trail trail ride that we did and some hill climbs that we did, and we also then just played around on a section of the track afterwards with Anton and Paul uh, and Tucker from Electric Cycle Rider, we were on the bike for about an hour, stopping and starting, talking to each other up and down these hills, twisting through grass tracks sections, riding over the supercross track, and I only lost 10% of battery in that hour. Um, obviously we weren't race pacing through these things. We're just having a play ride, uh, but less than 10% is pretty, pretty phenomenal at that point. So I have no doubt that it would go definitely for long enough for most of you on a trail ride, um, to, to, you know, get the best out of your self fitness wise and the bike. I think we would be plenty covered from that aspect of the battery life in the motos that I did, they were keeping us to four laps on the track. Uh, just so that they could manage things. Obviously, being a pre-production, they didn't want us to get tired and crash it and break something. They also wanted to make sure that we didn't have any dodgy experiences that we then wrote, wrote and talked about, which is fair enough. I'd obviously understand that they want to make sure that everybody's getting a good impression of these things. Um, I did most of my sessions with four laps. I managed to sneak in about six at one time because they didn't notice and they didn't pull me off the track. But at that point, I only used about 35 35% of the battery for that, it worked out to be about a 15 minute stint. Uh, so based on my ability, I'm not that fast, I wouldn't say. I'm probably quicker than a few, but not as fast as some of these pros at a motocross track. Um, I'm a decent vet level guy now, I'm over 35. <laughs> I got the reminder in the mail and all that sort of shit, you know, getting old. Um, 
But yeah, so I'm I'm reasonable pace vet rider, but I'm not going to be killing it uh, against these pro guys. I'd be very much the last guy on the on the on the on the grid for a qualifying if that was the case. Um, so I had a decent pace going, but yeah, 15 minutes and I'd only used about 35% of the battery. So for most of my sort of club day events that I would go to from a motocross track, where we would do three maybe four or five motos in a day if you included practice uh, of about that 10, 10 minutes each, I think I'm gonna make it for the whole day without needing a charge, which would be awesome. So those side of things on the battery, uh, I can't complain about at this point in time. The power, um, the power adjustability, right. So we talked about that app and how they were able to change it from that from that practical joke for the beginner level all the way up to that 60 horsepower. The adjustability on it was awesome in terms of the, the apps that they're gonna have for this bike and you'll be able to adjust the curve, where it comes in, where it goes out. Um, what your engine braking is, you'll be able to apply more engine braking, less engine braking, have no engine braking. You'll eventually be able to control how much traction control um, kicks in and when. Uh, the adjustability of this bike is fantastic for the user. Uh, and nowadays, obviously, most of you out there listening are probably listening on a smartphone on your podcast app. Um, and these things will be super easy to do because they're all just going to be an app on your phone. So there's no, for those sorts of adjustments, and they said you're not going to be able to break it by putting something on one high and one the other run on the lowest thing. Um, the bike will have built-in safeguards for those sorts of things. So you'll be able to adjust things, try things, see if you like it, and customize the bike to you, which will be fantastic. But I have to say the stock trim that I got to ride the bike in I don't feel that I needed to make too many changes. I probably would eventually because I would get more used to it and I'd want more out of it at some point. But that 60 horsepower was freaking heaps. Uh, and and the engine braking that I, the lack of engine braking that I had, I liked because of my two stroke background. And I liked being able to enter the corner and keep my roll speed up. Uh, but, and then when you buried the throttle on an exit of a corner, um, trying to get max drive out of it, you knew all about it. The thing was damn fast. Now, how fast and how do I know that it was fast? So here's where the Stark guys were so confident in their bike. This part was really what was cool. And I thought about this before I went over and I thought that they might, I should ask them this, but they did it without even having any prompting. They thought of this themselves. So they had at the test, so we did two sessions on the Stark Varg. Then the third session, they said, right, they had a line of 450s over on the fence. They had a KDM, they had a Husky, they had a Gas Gas, they had a Cowie, a Yami, and a Honda. Sorry, Suzuki guys, they didn't have one. I was a little annoyed at that. But anyway, so they, they said, right, go and pick one of the 450s that you're comfortable with. Go and take it for a couple of laps so that you can compare what this Stark Varg is like to compare to what you normally do on your normal rides and whether you actually feel like the Stark Varg is an improvement or not. So this is where I thought, right, I've got to give give this thing the berries and see if this 450 has actually got plenty more like I expected it to than the Stark Varg. As much as I was going hell fast on this Stark Varg, you, having not ridden for a couple of days and being in a completely new track, you don't have a reference point. So this was perfect. Those Stark guys had given us the chance to have a reference point. So 
So I got on the KDM 450. Being a KDM rider at home, I thought it'd be, you know, the closest thing that I'd be able to tell. Um, obviously, it's not going to be my bike in terms of setup, suspension, motors, all that sort of stuff, and those customizable things that you do to it. But it'd be close enough for me to tell that it was comparable to the Varg or not. Now, when I got on it, obviously, I'm doing the usual thing. I'm revving it up, getting it warm. Have to pull the clutch in, have to kick it in the gear. All that stuff is normal practice, right? But it felt so weird for some reason because I didn't have to do that for the first two rides of the day over on the Stark Varg. Now, I got on it, I rolled onto the track, and I instantly, unlike the Varg where I pulled the throttle on and it was just connected and I took off, I instantly felt damn slow. The bike, the 450 KDM, compared to the Varg, was slow as. It took so much effort to get into the corner. It took so much effort to get out of the corner. I had to make sure that I found the rev range. I had to make sure that I was in the right gear, that I was fanning the clutch. And even when I did all that right, like I normally can do to my level of ability, it was still freaking slower than the Varg. And I couldn't believe it. It was ridiculous how much better this Varg was. So they they let you do a couple of laps. They were trying to get us to do four again. I pulled in after three and went, you can keep that thing. That thing's a bucket. I remembered that the I do a lot of work on my KDMs, especially in the front end in terms of suspension and potentially the, the clamps and the clamp heights for the forks to get the bikes to get the bikes to really turn. As in, I struggle with the bikes because I ride off-road more. I need the bike to turn tightly. I need it to turn positively. I don't have room to run off the track because usually you only have one to two ruts or you smack it into a tree. So I have a lot of trouble with the stock bike um, to get it to turn the way I like it to. So I have to do a lot of work to it. And I was reminded of that straight away because the damn thing ran out of the first rut that I tried to go into and didn't handle at all, which I hadn't had a problem with all morning on the Varg. But the, the motor was so slow. Now the guys are there obviously with these big, you know, waiting preciously to see what you were gonna say about these uh, gas bikes and, and how much better they are or how much worse they are. And so they go to you, as soon as you got off the bike and you switched it off, they go, so how was it? And you're like, yeah. They go, do you want your gas bike back? And I was like, based on what I just did, no way in the world. I want that Varg every day of the week. It's that much better, guys and girls. I can't explain to you enough that that Varg was so fast and so easy to ride and so much more planted and handling and all the adjustability, the tech that's gone into it, the way that these guys have redesigned everything to make it as optimal as they can, as strong as they can, as light as they can. It's the future. I've got to say it. It's the future. It's, it's insane how good that bike was. Now... I got back on that Varg as fast as I could and went and did more laps and I was so much faster than the gas bike to the point of about six to 10 seconds a lap faster on this track. And I wasn't doing the track very well at this point in the day. It was still early. I was still struggling to remember some of the uh, some of the step ups and step downs um, to, to make sure I wasn't gonna send it off the track. Um, but as the day went on after that point, I did a lot more laps. Um, on the Varg and I got very comfortable on it very quickly and I just basically in the end I'd have one uh, it's insane <laughs> it's really insane 
Now, some things that I want to talk about in terms of the bike itself. Now, if you want the specs, you're going to have to go over to the Full Noise article. Uh, I'll be listing those sorts of things over there. Uh, this was just to give that the feel of the impression that I had of the bike and some of those other details that I can't convey in text, right? So you got that from me just now that I, the thing was amazing, right? The other couple of things I wanted to touch on the brake setups and the habit of location. Now, obviously, when you're purchasing one of these Vargs, you have the option to pick the handbrake versus the foot brake. Now, for us normal Australian, potentially, um, mountain bikers with a front brake lever set up like in a motorbike setup, as in on your right hand and a rear brake lever on your left hand, it might work for you. But what I found straight away was that the first jump that I hit when the bike went up in the air and I went a little bit nose high, my instinct was to push down on the rear brake with my foot. And that might take a fair bit of time to undo and that might cause you dramas in terms of being able to one, ride it safely and effectively, but two, uh, just keeping it on track and not crashing your brains out and breaking something. So consider that guys and girls. As much as the handbrake sounds like a fantastic idea, it's going to take you a while to get used to it and to remember that it's there um, up at your hand and not at your foot. And your habits from years and years and years, for me it's 30 odd years of riding a dirt bike, it's been at my foot for 30 odd years and I instantly went for it when I went nose up off a jump and the Stark guys noticed that and said that to me and I was like, you know, you're right, it's a habit, it's a learnt habit. I would have to take this a lot slower to learn how to do it with the handbrake. Now, I'm not saying the handbrake's not the way to go eventually, but consider that initially. You may need to get two setups so that you can take one on and off until you get used to it. Uh, it's something you want to play around with at that point. Now, something you guys are going to want to know too is how the bike jumps and how it feels in the air because of this electric motor. Now, for a lot of you guys, uh, you will judge your jump by the gear you're in and the, the sound that the bike is making as you're going up the face. And for a lot of you, that'll be a case of you go yep, out of this corner, right, click third, sit into the face of the jump and go right off the top of the jump, which is how I judge most of my things too. It's the simple way to do it. You're not really having the references speeds or anything like that. You just know the gear and the sound of the bike and you'll make it. Well, the Stark has no gears, the Stark has no sound, and I had no idea what to do the first time I went off a jump. <laughs> now I picked out, there was a nice tabletop down the bottom of this MX Golf track in Barcelona. So I picked it out as the one that I was gonna send it to see what happened when I, when I did the first rolling lap. Second lap I went down and went, this is my jump, I'm gonna jump and see what it does. And I went nose up straight away. And I cased it, I came up short. Cause I couldn't tell how fast I was going, and I couldn't figure out from the sound of the back tire if I had traction, uh, and then I was in the wrong position on the bike from the body because I wasn't used to how that bike would fly through the air. Next time around, got it perfect. Figured out that I just needed to use the sounds of the wind going through the helmet, uh, and also then the um, the speed at which I was able to, to go, uh, and then the the sounds that the bike makes so now it makes zipping noises uh which is which is simply just different nowadays um the zipping is something you're not used to at all obviously you're used to abrupt and you're used to that sound and that loud noise and as it gets louder you're in the right spot 
the zip you just got to go with it listen to the sound of the air through your helmet to judge your speed and get your body in a slightly different position which you will pick up automatically and the bike flies beautifully it's well weighted it doesn't do anything silly it feels natural when you're in the air it actually adjusts a lot easier in the air so when you go in if you're flying those down if you're flying those up those little things of dabbing the back brake or blipping the throttle to get it to level out the bike does it so much easier uh, it's and one of the other media guys said it must be nearly impossible to go over the bars on a on a jump because when you dab that throttle and you, it goes zip and it levels it out it levels out super well um, it just adjusts the bike's flight really nicely uh, and it's it's just all those all those natural habits you have from riding and learning to ride from all those years ago they still apply on the electric bike. You don't have to change that much stuff. You just have to figure out the speed as you approach the jump. But generally speaking, if you're ripping out of the corner, you're going to make the jump. That's how it works. In still in the same sense, you rip a corner on a gas bike, you rip a corner on a on an electric bike. If you carry that speed all the way up to the face, you're jumping the jump. But that's when you then got to work out you're not overjumping it. <laughs> but the suspension on this thing, the KYB suspension would handle it. So that's that's in the in your advantage as well. So the bike in that sense flew really really well. All right, I think. Look, outside of that, the bike was fantastic. Actually, let's let's quickly cover it before I forget about it. The the hill climbs for you off road guys, interested in how this bike would climb hills. Uh, it actually, I did a couple of things where I sat at the base of the hill right up against it, no run up, and just took it off, took off, as in like a hard enduro type climb that you would see these guys do at Romaniacs, up onto soft soil, over a rock, over a tree root, over a log, um, and it just tracked it through. Um, it's so instant with the throttle, it's so easy with the throttle to connect to the rear wheel, it actually had way better drive going up the hill than I expected, uh, and it climbed easy as. The one thing that I was having a little bit of difficulty with and, and sort of would take a little bit of just adjustment to figure out how to work that aspect of the bike was the fact that it had no clutch. On the motocross track, I didn't notice it. I didn't care. I really didn't care that it didn't have a clutch on the motocross track. But in the enduro sense and climbing hills and stuff like that and jumping a log is where I really couldn't figure out quite what I was doing just yet. And we only did it a couple of times. So I, I managed to jump the logs, okay? It just didn't feel right um, because I didn't have that same slow down, clutch in, blip throttle, dump clutch, pull back, lift up, bike goes over the log. I had to sort of just use the front brake more to pull the bike down harder and blip the throttle but the throttle didn't seem to want to actually lift your bike up. I had to pull a bit more, and that might be from the weight of the bike at that point. It might also be because you don't get that same like bite from the clutch grabbing to pull you up onto the, onto the back wheel. Um, but I was able to get up and over. Instead of sort of where I'd normally like to put the front tire on the top, like on the front face of the log or on top of the log, um, I sort of plowed it a bit more, a bit lower than I'd like to, just because I couldn't figure out the wheelie aspect of it at that stage. But I, like I said, I think if I had a bit more time on that bike in that scenario, 
uh, I'd figure it out pretty quickly. And I think everybody else will too. It's just something you're going to have to adjust to that. And that's probably the most adjustable thing that I, I'd noticed across the test that I did. Um, but it, it climbed super well. Um, the brakes worked beautifully to stop it on sliding down the steeper hills that we went down. Uh, and it just tracked really nicely. It stayed where it was put. That's the big thing with this bike. It, it, it was a little bit heavier. It might change in the production model because it becomes a bit lighter, um, but it tracked really well in the corners. It tracked really well following a rut down the hill. I had no complaints on the handling on that side of things at all. Uh, it's a fantastic bike from that side of things. All right, guys and girls, we're gonna take quick. Uh, we're gonna not gonna take a break. So we're gonna jump straight to the interview now with uh, CEO and co-founder Anton Wass. So stick around, guys and girls. It's about a twenty-minute interview, um, and then we'll be back afterwards to finish up the podcast. Backyard, really? Yeah, because I live in, up to a state forest. Yeah. So they I wake up and they're just there that in the background. So cool. Yeah, yeah. That's, I love wild animals like that. All right, we right, guys. Okay, guys, uh, microphone, uh, microphone. Yeah. So we're ready, so I'd say three, two, one, which we wait for like a couple of minutes and we can start, okay? Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Okay, so ready, hold guys. So three, two, one. All right, guys and girls, we're here with uh, founder and CEO of Stark Varg, Anton Wass. Um, we've been here riding this MX Golf track today, um, zipping around. Um, as we said, brapping is dead. It's now zipping, so you've got to add that to the vocabulary, guys. Um, but we've got some questions that you guys have submitted uh, and just a couple of extras that I've popped in here that we're going to run past Anton and see uh, if they're stupid or not, basically, uh, and, and, and just see what all the fuss is about with this Stark Varg. So thanks for joining us, Anton. Thank you, David. Thank you for coming. Yeah, no, appreciate I appreciate it. it. I'm glad I got the invite. I was worried that, that wasn't going to happen, but no, it's, it's awesome I'm here. Um, so look, like I said, some of these might be stupid. We're going to just run past and see if it does anything, you know. I'll do my best. Okay, all right, thank you. And lost in translation, Aussie slang might not work. We'll see how it goes out. All right, so let's, let's jump off with the first and probably the easiest one. Most people see something like this and, they, you know, they call it Mr. Honda or Mr. Stark and they don't actually see that person ride or anything. Now, you're sitting here in gear, so you actually ride. Some people claim that, yeah. It depends on what you what you require for riding, but we had a good time today. We did. Um, it was pretty cool that you, we had a few less people today from the media side of things. Um, and yeah, you and, and Paul, one of the other, it's engineer for Paul, isn't it? Yeah, he's my co-founder and the CTO of the business. Yeah, cool. So they, you guys were able to get out with us and, and have a bit of a spin. Yeah, and, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. And, and that little uh, bush ride was pretty cool as well. So. But yeah, you do actually ride. We did have to teach him how to hit a triple just over behind us here. Um, how many attempts did we get to? Uh, I would say uh, 27 or so. 27, yeah. And then I cleared it, finally. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I didn't tell you this before we started here, but I was joking with, I think, Ben um, about we're going to put a board and start crossing off the days till Anton jumped the triple. But then you did it, so you, you negated that one. So you yeah, dodged, thankfully. dodged a bullet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to try casing the bike hard, you know, see that it works well. Yeah, definitely. You definitely put that frame torsion to the test. Oh, yeah. All right, so let's, let's jump into some other ones. So what... Other models are you going to look to bring in? Obviously, this is a motocross version. 
um, specifically, is there a supermoto? Is there an Endura that can be like registered for us in Australia? It's sort of pretty important we have a registered version that's compliant to the road going rules so we can go into forests. Is that on the cards? Yes, I mean, just overall, our ambition is to have a full range of off and on road motorcycles. Yep. So um, we start with this model. We're also going to make it street legal, which means that there will be an Enduro version, there yep. will be a supermoto version, and yep. then we are also developing full street motorcycles as well, which will come in the near future. Full street ones? Yeah. Okay, awesome. That's, I didn't realize that one. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty impressive. All right. Um, let, next one on the list. Obviously, being electric, charging is an issue, and everybody's you know, looking for phone chargers to connect to these days and trying to get it done as quickly as can because they run these things out. What sort of charging setup is going to be on this first model and is there a fast charge or is that even something you are re referring to or terming as such? Yeah, so the bike comes with a standard charger which is also the bike stand. Uh, that's a 3.3 kilowatt charger which will charge the bike to full in roughly two hours. Yep. With a standard outlet with a 16 amp uh, fuse. Okay. Um, but the bike can take faster charging. So we will develop a fast charger as well. Okay. We don't have that right now, but uh, that's it's on the come. cards for, yeah. for future. Yeah. So you say you said 16 um, amp. Yeah. So I, I don't know if this is something you might be able to, but the 10 amp and the 15 amp that we have as normal outlets sort of in Australia, obviously you're going to have those things specific for the models that come, or the charging parts that come to Australia. Yeah. 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 So I mean, with a 15 amp fuse in Australia, you should have around two hours. I think it should be just below. Just below. Yeah. Okay. Now that's, that's still very, reasonable from a charge point of view yeah um and that then equated to the the six hours of like a trail ride side of things from a yeah, enduro I mean, point I of view i don't know i mean the kind of riding we did here i mean off off the motocross tracks and trail riding um, i don't know if you calculated your ride time but you get a ridiculous amount of range when you're just cruising around in these a bit more technical trails so six hours is is no problem yep then if you go faster you know you reduce uh, the amount of the yeah range of course as well. i did have the the polar watch going just to sort of keep track of how long we were going each time and yeah the when we did the trail ride the the, the screen the smartphone that you guys have on the top barely changed because we weren't really pushing the bikes at that point yep. we were much lower yep. um, speed so yeah it, it's obviously going to last quite a while yep um Battery size and ease of changing. Yeah, so the battery is a six kilowatt pack. That's the capacity of the yep. battery pack. And um, it is not made to be swappable because if we would do that, we would compromise the chassis. And okay. we would rather have a better handling and lighter bike. Yep. Uh, however, you can swap the battery anyway even though that was not the purpose yeah but it's not a clicker system you have to remove three different shafts and two connectors yeah so if you prepare your bike for it you can probably swap the battery in under a minute if you are a couple okay of yeah but uh, is it something you would think that we're going to be doing in between motos to have a fully charged for like moto 2 or moto 3 of a day or is it is that not something you want want to see guys and girls doing out there i mean the battery will be the most expensive spare part uh, okay. So I think it will be a limited amount of people that wants to swap batteries. Yep. Uh, it depends on the time between your heats. And I mean, if you're running hard and you have a very short amount of time in between, but if you have a two-hour window, you know that's that's enough. It's fine. Yeah. Yep. Then you can charge the full. We, uh, I, I don't know what you guys have here in in Europe for like club events, but our club events generally are, are fairly short motos. There's just maybe two to three, maybe four, depending on how they go, but. 
it's a long stretched out day. It's not a massive amount of time on track. So I don't think that's going to be too much of an issue for us on the one battery for the day. Yeah, I mean, for amateurs, most likely you don't need to charge it for the full day. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is what I think after using it today, yeah. I think a lot of people will be surprised that they don't have to worry about the charging at the track. Yeah, the really fast guys, if they want to do two motos, they will have to charge in between. Yep. But if you're uh, riding at uh, an amateur speed, um, most likely you won't have to. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree on that one. Um, uh, and so the the one about um, overheating for summer day in Australia. So we obviously have some decent 40 degree days um, and you're saying that there's like a, a point with temperature gauges obviously on part of the, the smartphone, but at what point would that have to, how hot would that have to get? Like would the, the 40 degree day affect us? Yeah. I mean, we have done testing is in fairly high temperatures. I think up to 34, 35 degrees with uh, Sebastian Tortelli riding as hard as he can. Yep. So, um, and, and he is not overheating the bike with the setup that we're having today. So, so um, that is a good example, you know, so I think Obviously, you can always overheat any vehicle. It depends on what you do, yeah. uh, but it's going to be extremely difficult. If it is 40 degrees, you are an incredibly fast rider and riding in very heavy sand. Yep. Maybe, but yep. I think it will be extremely difficult to, to achieve that. I think the main point with this one is that like, it's not going to happen just every time it's 40 degrees and you go out the, out no, the no, door. No, for sure. Actually, the best temperature for the battery is 45 degrees. Uh, so of course it heats up more than the, the atmosphere temperature, yep. but uh, uh, it's it's very difficult to to overheat it. I, I think it's quite unlikely that that will happen. Yeah. Okay. You have to do very harsh kind of riding in extreme temperatures. Yeah, and obviously sand would probably fit. Yeah, that. I, I think the biggest challenge would be, you know, it's actually like when you charge your bike you shouldn't leave the battery in the sun that could potentially yeah because the sun heats it quite yeah, well of course. and then there's no air drag around it so yeah, yeah. that's probably going to be a more common problem that if you leave it in scorching sun charging that that could be a problem then just put it in the shade when you do that or most people are going to be charging it probably in their garage so it's going to be out of direct sunlight yeah, yeah, so. yeah. or if you have a canopy tent or if you can just cover the battery if it's an extremely hot day perhaps. yeah sure but, uh, okay most likely it won't be a problem but yeah. that, that could potentially be where it gets overheated yeah but then uh, you know it has, it has all the software to uh, you know slow down shut off and, and tell you protect you know, itself yeah exactly yeah. yeah no cool okay um and then so bike weight yeah yeah so the claimed weight is 110 kilos mm -hmm. uh, the bike that you've been riding today is a bit heavier so yep. it's not the full production bike there are some prototype parts on it uh, we are fighting hard to uh, to reach that goal yeah and uh, uh, we don't know exactly what the production weight will be but it will be close to that yep. uh, hopefully uh, below uh, worst case just above but um, this yeah. is what we think we would achieve yeah right and look the only time i really noticed that it was 120 or something for today was when the one time i did try to see how it was lifting it onto the stand and off riding it tipping it over it felt exactly like a normal motocross yeah bike. it's quite interesting i mean the, these the, the prototype bikes that we've been riding now uh, are you know many kilos heavier than the production and still when you're riding they, they feel incredibly light it's just when you lift it you feel that it's a little bit heavier and you have uh, uh, more material in areas that you won't have in production and then things like that so. okay uh, what percentage of the weight is the battery uh, the battery is uh, around 30 percent of the weight okay yeah 
that's reasonable amount but it's obviously the, the heart of the the whole thing basically isn't it yeah yeah for sure yeah um why no clutch on a dirt bike uh you know it's interesting you know if, if you look back i just remember you know for myself when i was you know a teenager at 20 25 years ago no 20 years no 20 years ago you've got to do quick math i'm not here. that old yeah <laughs> but 20 years ago you know when when cars you know most people were still using manuals and for yes. me it was just a crazy idea to have an automatic car i felt you know i would never want to have an automatic car yep. and i don't know why i was thinking that but it was just a strange thought for me and um, today i would never buy a car that's not automatic that feels so weird flip the other way now yeah and yeah. you know it's because you, you it's hard to imagine something that's different from what you've always had yeah and um, the clutch today in gas bikes is very much used to make sure that you can compensate for a very limited power curve um, yep. you know not always having the right gear and so on you can always slip the clutch to hit the right power in the rpm range etc so yep. you know to have the right traction and you know with an electric motor with only one gear you're always in the right gear uh, so that's definitely how it felt today like it yeah. was amazing how easy you just wherever you wanted the throttle it had exactly what you wanted yeah there's yeah. no no lag there was no like rev it up in the air to make it so that it would drive off the other side right yeah. it was just always there yeah and i mean you have so much torque that you don't really need the clutch to generate more power if you have a yeah. low power motor you need to use the clutch to rev it up to create inertia which is giving you more power than what the motor is actually producing but yeah. this this powertrain is so powerful that there's no necessity for that so the clutch is just complicating things you know you manage to the throttle and the clutch and the gear at the same time that's you need to synchronize all of these elements and if you just have one that's obviously easier than than two or three yeah and you guys were explaining earlier today too that it makes it a lot simpler for a, a beginner person to get on the bike and, yeah. and go and yeah. like yeah i can see but how what's that's... what's your experience today riding without the clutch apart from the fact that i couldn't figure out what to do with this finger <laughs> and it wouldn't basically touch the bars it was sort of flapping out in the breeze yeah um and then obviously with it having no gears I would there's a single over here then every time i'd come over the over it i wanted to shift a gear and i kept having to tell myself don't do that it's not there and it, it's so silly you're programmed for so long that yeah. a motorcycle has a clutch and gears yeah and just automatically you go to do something and you're like i don't need to do that why did i just do that it's so stupid yeah i mean i think it takes a few hours just to get used to it after the afternoon yeah. I didn't do it. Okay, cool. So that, yeah, like you said, yeah. a couple of hours and you sort of switched. So I, I think everyone will get used to it pretty quickly. Cool. So, yeah. Um, why 80 horsepower? <laughs> and is it enough? You know, more power is always fun. So, <laughs> so it, you know, it's not about how much power you need. No, you don't need 80 horsepower. Yes. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know, you don't need a thousand horsepower car either. But it's a lot of fun. True. So, yeah. you know, it's a bit the same. You know, I think most people that have ordered a bike today have chosen the 80 horsepower version. Yeah. Uh, I mean, most people can't handle 60 horsepower. That's already way too much, but yeah. it's fun to have it. And you know, if you have this crazy uh, drag race you want to do or whatever, okay, there's the power there's for it. There's 80 horsepower yeah. to use. Yeah. <laughs> you want to win the start? Yeah, there's, there you go. Well, I'm, I'd be curious that all the ones that did order the 80 horsepower, if they can actually hold onto it when it does go to 80 horsepower, because they might just find that they shouldn't have ordered that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the good thing is you can easily tune it down, right? Yep. So you can choose for yourself. And uh, 
we've had several people that are able to go faster with less than 60 horsepower which yeah. is what we've been riding today yeah so um, a couple of guys that you know weren't able to clear a jump and then we reduced the power and then he cleared it immediately yeah because it was just a bit too much it gave him a bit better feel out of the corner probably yeah, you and... know you're just slipping anyway yeah uh, these bikes don't have the traction control developed yet either so yep. that's also going to help more in the future yeah okay yeah definitely um now this one's the, one of the silliest ones here um what's actually going on in that motor there's no piston so what's actually happening because you look at it most bikes obviously you, you if you have any mechanical sort of knowledge you know there's some the gears are turning there's a there's a crank going around there's a piston going up and down if it's a four stroke the valves are opening and <laughs> shutting there's a timing chain going around what's actually going on inside that thing yeah so there is a carbon fiber sleeve motor yep. so the, the carbon fiber sleeve is holding the magnets in place which are rotating and yep. outside of that you have the windings so that's generating uh this is pulling the magnets essentially um, and that's what's generating the drive then you have a gear reduction so the motor is spinning faster than your output shaft yeah uh, so there's basically the motor there are two gears in there which is just increasing the rpm of the motor then you have the output shaft and then you have the front sprocket and away we go yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> that simple eh yeah i mean i hope everybody understood all of that because um, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean it's fairly sophisticated. Of course, then you have the inverter and all of the other you know electrical components. But just looking at the motor, it's not really so complex. Yeah, of course it's very optimized, but um, very few moving parts, which is um, both reducing the the inertia, uh, which is helping you in the corners, but um, also removing uh, you know less things that move means also less service and, and so on. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so on that sort of point of the service and side of things, parts-wise, um, you know, things like brake pads, um, brake brake discs, sprockets, chains, are these things, because obviously like for most, um, you know, dirt bikes that are existing, you go into your local shop, you can get your, your rentals, your pro taper sprockets, whatever brand you want, you just say to the guy behind the counter or the girl behind the counter, I've got a YZ, 450 20 20 model i need this sprocket this size is it going to be like that where these other brands carry your parts or do we need to get a stark specific sprocket that you can only get from a stark dealer how's that going to work yes i mean first of all we are building a global dealer network so there yep. will be local dealers you know in all relevant markets within a very short period of time there are already 120 dealers and i think there will be a thousand dealers by sometime next year yeah well. so so most people will have a local dealer they can go to to buy those parts and get help with anything that they, they want uh, you can also order spare parts from our website so that would also be available no matter where you live you can always order the spare parts and yep. have it delivered so we think it's very important with that service but then when it comes to sprockets and brake discs we didn't want to make things overly complicated yep, so sure. we're using the same uh, fitments as uh, ktm then for the rear sprocket, for instance, that is actually quite sophisticated component. So that is very much optimized for our bike and yep. our hub. Yep. So you can use a different sprocket, but we would recommend you to use ours, which is also the lightest rear sprocket in the market. So if you care about that. Well, that's a good reason. Most people are looking at weights and stuff. <laughs> so And obviously more weight on the back wheel is going to yeah. affect how long it lasts like yeah, that too yeah. so and the galfer discs that we are using is also the same fitment as uh, as ktm i think the rear disc i'm not sure if it's the same outside diameter there are two different ones but it's yep. the same fitment yeah um, there's some other bike that has a, a different outer diameter um, 
So uh, then also for the Brembo brakes, that is uh, the same as I think the previous models of KTM were using. I think now they stopped using Brembo, if I'm fully aware. Yeah. I don't remember if they've changed recently. I'm pretty sure they're still on. Okay, Brembo. maybe maybe they still are. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm then it's sure. the same in that case. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Yeah. So I mean that's for the general spare parts, and then for bearings and stuff, uh, uh, that is uh, Stark specific for the Kayaba suspension. Uh, most parts from your Yamaha fork will fit on our forks sure. when it comes to bushings and seals. Yeah. Yep. Um, because you know Kayaba has developed it, and they are using the, a lot of the same components, sure. uh, even though not all. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm not sure for the rear shock actually. If there are, probably we are sharing with some bike, but I don't know. Which, yeah, which one specifically? Yeah. yeah, no, that's fair enough. But yeah, those those key components yeah. are obviously yeah. still generic to some yeah. word yeah. there for for it across the bikes. Um, last one for you. Who created it? Is this all you? Is this you and Paul? Uh, is it, did you have to, like, you had a general idea and then it just exploded with everybody else's input? How did this all, all come about? I mean, it was created by a lot of smart and hardworking people, of course. Of course. I mean, there are so many people behind it, uh, both within and also outside the company. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I came with the idea, what I wanted to create. I brought that to Paul. He really liked it and I think he had been dreaming about similar things uh, before so yeah. we decided to, to do it together and uh, that's where we started and now it's uh, around 70 people that are working inside the company and uh, um, then of course we have also a lot of you know very good suppliers and so on that we're working with. So. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Look, appreciate your time today. I appreciate being here and experiencing this thing. It's been completely wild to just blow my mind about how fast a bike can be whilst not making a damn noise other than <laughs> the sound of the tide digging into the dirt, which is kind of weird to, to hear for the first time. But look, appreciate everything about this, this Stark. And I hope that the people that have pre-ordered it they're going to be pretty happy with this. Yeah, you think so? I think they're going to love it. And if they, if they don't follow through on their deposits, I'll take one of them. If they, <laughs> if they want to pull out, just give us a call. <laughs> Glad to hear so. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. That's Thank awesome. You. Thanks for coming. No, appreciate it. Cool. Thank you. Cut. Cut. All right, guys and girls, we're back on the Always Moto podcast. Um, so just again, wanted to thank uh, Thor Australia from Gas Imports here uh, for the new gear that we were able to run while we're on that Starkvark test. Uh, also a special mention to Ringmaster Images. Uh, we did get some stickers done up to put on the, on the Starkvark for the test, but we got Australia posted. Uh, I left on the Monday, they turned up on the Wednesday. Don't know what the frick happened there, but uh, good old Australia Post. Uh, we managed to miss that one, so unfortunate, but we did get those stickers put up on on our Instagram, so check them out. They are some pretty awesome designs, uh, but we're gonna save them for another test. Hopefully we'll get something come up soon that's worthy of those uh, stickers, uh, and we'll be able to run them at another day, so we'll, we'll save them for another another point, in, point of view here for an always moto inspection. Now, thanks for listening to the interview. Anton was awesome. Uh, we were able to give him a bit of stick about that triple. Uh, it was a very interesting day when the when Anton and Paul jumped onto the bikes and started riding with us. And it just became like a couple of mates out for a ride rather than a media test. And, and I was actually funny. I'm not usually the one 
that is jumping the jumps and then telling people how to do them. Um, I'm usually the one getting coaxed into the jump. So um, it was interesting to be the one that was probably one of the, far, the faster one there for the day, which isn't also a thing that usually happens for myself. But to then be able to teach these guys that are the CEO and the head engineer and the co-founders of the company about how to how to hit the corner better, you know, how to stay in the line and then to hit this hit this triple. Uh, it, was, it was a fun day. Honestly, guys, I had an absolute ball on this Stark adventure. Um, I can't wait for you guys to see some of these images. Hopefully, you've seen them already by the time you're listening to this. Um, and I can't wait for you guys to try and get out there and order one yourselves. So jump on. If you're interested in ordering one, you can jump on the StarkVarg website. Uh, all you need is a $100 deposit down. They'll be in touch with you about, obviously, as things get closer to having the actual release date for the full payment, uh, which is in that 16 grand range. Now, for me, am I going to buy one? Am I going to buy one from this first release? Probably not. Uh, why? The only reason why I won't buy one in this instant, in this early release, is there's already 10,000 people in the queue waiting for one. Uh, and I also am, only, am not really just a motocross guy. I'm an enduro guy, and where I live, I back onto a state forest, and I need to have a registered bike. So in talking to Anton and talking to Paul and Ben from Stark, um, it is in their scope that they are going to try and get a registered version out in the very near future, hopefully for that next gen of models, which would be the following year. So I'll be hanging out for one of those, but Mark my words, as soon as they have one that's registered, I'll be trying to get one in the garage ASAP. Uh, I was that blown away by this bike and the experience with the company. Their attention to detail is insane and just little things. And this is a bit of a wank factor, I will be honest, but they had a 24 karat gold Stark emblem embedded onto where this fuel tank or the gas cap would be uh, on the top of the bike there. Um, but it's just... Little things like that, that's a bit of a wank, but the, the, the detail that goes into those things, uh, the 3D printing of the triple clamp, the, the, the one-piece pegs that are stronger and lighter, um, the mounting process for it, the, the adjustment that they had available in the click setup, just like a clicker on a suspension, but a click setup on your actual, uh, the chain adjuster setting. So rather than having to use two spanners and I guide the the lines between the 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 axle block and the and the markings on the swing arm. You just just go click click click, and it's a you count ten and you count ten on the other side, and they're perfectly aligned. It's those little attention to details that just made me so impressed by the guys at Stark Varg. And I actually said to them, "Do you reckon you'd notice if I just rolled one of these away on the side there and tried to get it in the uh, in into the uh, carry on luggage?" And considering that they only had five of them on the track, I think they, they, they said they'd noticed. So look, I was a bit disappointed on that side of things. But look, they're going to be available very shortly. This first range is all going to be just an online order system. We are going to have dealers all around the country very soon. Uh, and that will be probably from end of the year that you'll start seeing people advertising that they're a Stark dealer. If not before, um, it's it's the way of the future. It's just more a case of whether these guys are the ones that keep leading the way, um, at which at this stage, I think they will be. These things were damn impressive. And if they keep doing this attention to detail, they're only going to get better. So look, like I said, let's in summary, I was blown away by this bike. The, the attention to detail, the speed it was capable of, the adjustability it's capable of, the way that the app and the phone bit on the dashboard works, it was just simply impressive uh, to put it in the 
basic of terms there. Um, so look, if you haven't already, I th you think you should be looking at getting one. Uh, if you have already put your money down for a deposit on one, you're going to be pretty damn impressed when you get it. And look, when you do get it, I want to hear about it. I want you guys to let me know how it is when you finally do get it. So send us a message on the Instagram, always.moto, and let me know what's happening with that bike when you get it. Send us a photo. We'll pop it up on our feed. Um, and look, if you have any feedback on this uh, podcast, please give us a message as well. We want to hear about it. We want to see what you think of our opinion of the Stark Varg. So hit us up, um, send us some feedback. Now, if you want to provide any other information towards uh, like any other parts or products to be um, inspected by Always Moto, get in touch with us as well. Our email is alwaysmoto2019 at gmail.com. Uh, so we will, uh, you know, we'd be happy to hear from you guys that have some um, small products there on the side for small businesses, or maybe you're one of the big distributors and you've got some, um, some new stuff coming through that you want an inspection done on uh, to get a bit more promotion. So feel free to hit us up with those sorts of things. Uh, but for now, guys, that's the end of episode 24 of the Always Moto podcast. It was a special one with this Stark Varg intro. Um, thanks to the guys from Stark Varg. Thanks to Thor, Thor Australia. Thanks to Ringmaster Images. Um, we'll catch you on the next episode.